Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Hey, how you doing? Anyway, this week I've got Mandy Epley on. Super excited about this one. Uh, we weren't friends on Facebook until very recently. I don't know why, but she is the one that if you are in TTAO, if you're a contest manager or an adjudicator, you see her posts all the time on the Facebook, uh, posting things, reminders. Uh, we just recently voted for uh, some positions that were available that were open um, and so, yeah, she's constantly posting on there. And so I finally said, I, I honestly, I didn't know why I had never had her on before, but here we are. Here's the episode, uh, coming close to, I think 175, uh, at least that to my count, that's, that's, uh, what I'm getting at right now, uh, really close. So that's really cool. 175 episodes. Mind you, a couple of those were, you know, like WrestleMania related, which that's going to be coming up not too far in the future. Uh, we didn't do one last year because that's when I was on my little break on my hiatus. Uh, but we are going to do one this year for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Mandy Epley, uh, fun chat. I, I knew nothing about her. And when she started her uh, with the conversation, I know it's on the record, but I don't remember if this was before we started recording or not, that she mentioned something about being superintendent. It was, you know, an interim thing. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't realize you were like a big deal and stuff. So, uh, no offense. <laughs> I just didn't know how, how big of a deal she was until we started chatting. And then I was like, wow, all right, I've got some royalty up in here. So, uh, that was really fun. And I had a good time with her. Uh, going to be recording a lot this coming week with the winter holiday, as us Jews call it. We don't call it Christmas break. Um, but uh, I've got quite a few in the can lined up, ready to go, uh, enough to at least get me way past T-Tech. And hopefully I'm getting some content at T-Tech as well. Speaking of T-Tech, please register. I don't know why you haven't yet. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you could tell me. Maybe you could give me your reason why you haven't registered. It is July or July, July. Yeah. Registration's open. Uh, January 12th. Uh, oh, excuse me. 11. Let's back up January 12th to the 14th. I will be there on the 11th, but you don't have to be, uh, but January 12th to the 14th, we are going to be there with bells on ready to go. We've got a number of amazing presenters. Cameron Ware is going to be there. And for those Northerners, uh, you should probably know Cameron. Uh, even us Southern, even us Southerners uh, should know Cameron too. He's a projection genius, design stuff. He's kind of like Mitch Starks, uh, who does uh, the Theater Avenue stuff, just more local. Um, but uh, Cameron will be there Saturday. He's only he only has time to do one session, but he's going to show us uh, projection mapping and all this kind of stuff. We've got lighting people there. We've got somebody from Verilite coming, Bobby Harrell. Uh, we've got Katie Cross from Covenant doing some stuff with LEDs. Uh, then we've got directing workshops uh, with quite a number of people. Rachel Gomez is going to be there giving tips and tricks, not just with UIL design, but just as like a, a longtime educator who's retired and earned the right to do that. Um, we've got Kat Steffens. 
we've got all kinds of people. We've also got some inclusion stuff happening. Kirsty Lewis is going to be in attendance as well with uh, two people. And they're going to talk a lot about uh, one of the people that she's going to be presenting with has down is an actress that has Down syndrome. I believe actress. I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me on that. But um, she has an actor coming with her uh, who has Down syndrome. And they're going to do a whole, a few workshops talking about inclusion and uh, how you can involve certain elements of your school uh, community and population that aren't just able-bodied, uh, and I'm very passionate about this. Uh, I, well, I shouldn't say passionate. I'm, I have a history of this uh, this theater of inclusive uh, inclusive theater uh, with Dionysus Theater that was around in the early 2000s. Debbie Nowinski, even into the mid to late, or we're in the mid to late 2000s, uh, even into the 2010s. Um, but, uh, Dionysus, I, I performed on stage. I did lighting for them. I did scenery for them. Uh, but they were a theater company that incorporated everybody. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're blind, deaf, uh, mentally handicapped, uh, physically, uh, you know, uh, uh we had, there was a, a wonderful, uh, actress, uh, she was a quadriplegic, um, you wouldn't know if you like just didn't pay attention to that stuff. Uh, there are just so many awesome opportunities that you can create for your department and for your kids and growing an educational environment for everybody that's just all inclusive, that's equal. And anyway, we're going to, uh, Kirsty Lewis is going to be focusing a lot of her energy on that. That's kind of what her specialty is. Uh, and we're bringing her in to do that. So enough about T Tech, but you just, you gotta, you gotta sign up. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, uh, and get here. I don't care if you have a musical. I don't care. Do you want, do you want your now to be great or do you want your forever to be great? Huh? Huh? How about that? Tattoo that on your tramp stamp. Anyway, uh, I hope everybody's doing well. Um, I'm excited for winter break. I'm excited for cold weather. I'm excited for Hanukkah, Hanukkah, come light the menorah. Let's have a party and all dance to Chora. Uh, but Hanukkah is tonight, if you're listening to this on Sunday, or actually for the next week, if you're listening to this, it's tonight. Uh, so it is Hanukkah season coming up on Christmas season and all of that good stuff. Anyway, buy a shirt for me, Minor Wisdom. Maybe that's a be, that'd be a hell of a Christmas gift. Am I right, guys? Am I right? And, uh, you know, like things and do things and all that good stuff. So hope everybody has a great week. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mandy Epley. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. So that's all that matters. Holla back, girl. I started doing theater in elementary school. Um, I was super fascinated with... Uh, a neighbor of mine that uh, was on the Bluebell um, popsicle box. Uh, she had gotten um, a deal with her and her brother uh, who, who had an agent, um, you know, got the deal to, to be the kids uh, on the Bluebell popsicle box. And uh, I just was fascinated with the idea that you 
could perform or your image could be out there for people to see. Um, and I just started pursuing any way that I could. My parents were not um, <clears throat> necessarily theater people. So uh, they were though supportive of whatever I was interested in. So uh, I had a great uh, elementary choir teacher who saw that I was eager to be on stage and speaking. And so she put me in uh, a speaking role in the Christmas play. And uh, from there, I just found every opportunity, whether it was pioneer days at school, you know, to do that. And then at my church, um, I wrote an Easter play uh, when I was in middle school that they produced and I got to star in. And then uh, <clears throat> in middle school, I wrote a play for uh, my middle school and they actually allowed me to do that play there as well. So uh, just kind of evolved from their high school uh, in Plano um, is a, a hotbed of awesome theater, has been for a long time. And so um, I was blessed to be able to try out for uh, theater major studies with Lisa Hale and get into her program. Um, I think uh, she really taught me um, some deeper sides of theater, uh, you know, that it wasn't uh, just Christmas pageants and and church pageants and and kind of cute fun plays, but really, um, you know, we started doing things with Arthur Miller and William Saroyan and learning about theater um, with deeper messages. Uh, my junior summer, though, was a game changer for me. Uh, went to the Stephen F. Austin Theater Camp, and uh, I. Uh, had the opportunity to be in a, uh, a Greek production, and there was a young lady in the production who had not um, come from a very strong theater program, and she was struggling, and it was an all-female cast, um, which can be very um, critical and catty, <laughs> and they were not happy that we were not going to have the best scene uh, because she didn't know her lines and she was really struggling. And so um, I think they had just given up and we're just going to look bad and it's all her fault. And that day we had a dance where all the kids were supposed to go to this dance. And I begged uh, for them to let me stay behind and work with her. And, um, you know, of course they didn't want to leave us. And I said, you know, look, we're literally going to be in the dorm room. I'm going to be running lines. I'm going to be talking to her about character. Um, if you can just, you can come by and you can check on us, but we're not going anywhere. And so they did. And um, I worked with her that whole night. And the next day, she was so much stronger. Um, she felt confident. We talked through some of her concerns. And uh, as I left camp, they gave us these packets. And it was your critique of each of the scenes you'd been in. And with it, you know, some encouraging notes from uh, the the students that were directing these scenes or the professors. And one of them said, have you ever considered being a teacher? And growing up, my parents had said, you can do anything you put your mind to. So do whatever you want, but don't be a teacher. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, they just, they get treated so poorly and we don't want to see you in a profession where you're not valued and you're not treated well. And uh, so I had never really considered being um, a theater teacher. And 
when I got that note, um, it really resonated with me that I found a lot of joy in helping somebody else find character, find that character's journey, find that character's voice. And so my senior year, um, I, you know, took opportunities to, to mentor other people and help them uh, be better at their craft and then decided that I would um, interview and, and audition at TETA. Uh, it was TETA back then. <laughs> so, you know, we're old. Um, but uh, I got a scholarship uh, to Webster and I got a scholarship to Sam Houston State University. I uh, went to both locations and my dad said, I want you to go to Sam for two years. If you don't like it, I'll let you go anywhere you want. And uh, I loved going to Sam Houston State University. I studied with um, really fantastic professors there. I met wonderful people there and had the opportunity to get both a stellar theater degree and um, a fantastic teaching degree. So um, quickly out of that, I went to Friendswood High School and uh, taught with Kathy Peldrell for a year and uh, got to see a program that was fully developed, uh, really successful in when I play. Uh, believe it or not, I taught technical theater, um, <laughs> which was not necessarily my forte, uh, but I was so eager to learn and go to an awesome program. And uh, I quickly realized how important it was to me to have my own program. And so uh, I took, um, a friend of mine suggested I look at an opening that was in a place I had never heard of in Texas, um, Shirts um, and Shirts is outside of San Antonio. And uh, I interviewed at a place called Samuel Clemens High School, uh, the Samuel Clemens Buffaloes, and their theater. I remember coming in and the theater was so old. Uh, it was built in, uh, I believe, 1968, and they had just changed the lighting. And they were so proud that they had new lighting. And you could tell where the old lighting had been because it was the, the pull down Frankenstein lighting and it had like charred the wall. And she said, the only reason we've been able to get um, new lighting is because a kid got shot. <laughs> so, well, thank God we have new lighting. Uh, the curtains were the, the texture of your grandmother's curtains in the 1970s. Uh, and they were uh, cream colored, which no longer were cream colored, as you can imagine, a bunch of high school kids touching them. Um, they had one giant room to store everything. And the custodian had decided it was really important to wax the flooring in that room. So they had pulled everything out onto the stage, everything from a Virgin Mary statue to lumber to old paint was out there uh, on the floor. The seats were torn and tattered. And I thought to myself, coming from, you know, the blessing of being at a, a space like Friendswood, oh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I, I'm going to use this as a practice interview. This was really nice to meet you guys, but no way. And she said, well, let's head back to my office. And I was heading out of the theater. And as crazy as this sounds, I stand by it. I heard a tiny voice say, help me. And I immediately thought somebody's trapped in all of this junk that they've pulled out. Somebody's, somebody's back in there. So I turned back and looked and there was no one. 
And as I walked back to her office, I thought, this place needs me. It needs me in a way that Friendswood didn't need me. Um, needs somebody who knows theater, who can say, this is what needs to happen in the space to make it a workable space to do productions. And um, so she said, well, hey, I know you're going back to Houston. I'll, I have two people to interview, but unless they can fly, I'm going to give you a call. And so that started my journey in Central Texas. And I taught there for four years and then got the call to open um, a new high school in Northside ISD, which is Warren. And uh, it was awesome to go into a brand new space, awesome black box. Um, but uh, I had been very blessed at Clemens to uh, do some great work with some amazing kids. And so the word was out that um, I might be available. And so I opened Warren and uh, did some great work there. And then they opened another new high school, Brandeis. And uh, so I opened that campus as well. And we went to state while I was at Brandeis with After Juliet. First time anyone had done that production. And um, I fought for that show. The um, uh, publishing company did not want to allow for a one-act play cut of the show. And so they sent me back word that I couldn't do the show. Um, and then I'd have to, uh, if I wanted to deal with that in any way, shape, or form, I would have to talk with the playwright, which is something I had never done before. And so um, I contacted Charmin McDonald's agent, and you know, which is now is a little bit more commonplace, but back then we we just didn't do that. And so I did, and I said, "Hey, you wrote this for kids to perform in." Um, you know, the UK can, can kids are going to perform it here. So can I do it? And so I sent her my cutting. I did the same thing with Theophilus North. And, uh, you know, so we had a lot of uh, back and forth and getting to know playwrights. And that became um, a real big part of my program is talking with playwrights and helping kids learn about playwrights. So um, after uh, my time at Brandeis, I got my administrative degree and I started to get pulled uh, into the office more to be an AP. I have never wanted to discipline kids. It's never been part of what I love about teaching. Uh, so I said, no, um, I think my dream is to be a fine arts director. And so I applied to be the fine arts director at Comel ISD and I became the first fine arts director there and got to really learn about all the arts and supporting all of those folks who make the arts happen for our kids and, and really grow programs. And then um, I like to say I became the casting director of the district. I moved to be the uh, uh, executive director of HR. And so started bringing in great people uh, to make the organization better. And then I became chief of staff quickly followed by Assistant Superintendent of Strategic Initiatives and Programs, which is a giant title for, um, I help make ideas happen that the superintendent comes up with at 3 a.m. And I'm over every single thing a kid really wants to come to school for. Um, so everything from CTE to athletics, to fine arts, to student leadership, PE, health and wellness, um, you know, everything from table tennis to robotics. So um, most recently, my superintendent resigned unexpectedly. And so I was named acting superintendent of the school district. So that was a, a real journey for about five months. And now I have a brand new superintendent. So 
that's from start to finish. Wow. You know, all the all of the other stuff that's theater related was personal. So I yeah. I continued to act and do um, things on my own. So I've done murder mystery dinner theaters in Houston um, most recently, which is actually about 10 years ago now that I think of it. Um, I opened a theater company with a former student uh, called Inception Theater, and that still goes strong here in San Antonio. Um, I come in and direct every now and again and artistic director for the theater. Uh, and then I did perform at the Classic Theater uh, with one of my favorite shows of all time that I taught every year, All My Sons. Uh, and uh, I got to be Sue Bayless, which was a dream role for me. Wow. Cool. Yeah, and that's it. And we're done. No, uh, that, that was, <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite a bit. You know, I, I didn't know the most recent history. Uh, I knew the Clemens. And the only reason I really knew the Clemens thing is because I was in Fort Bend for so long and knew Clements with a yeah. T, right? And so on a lot of like, when I started with Thespians, I was doing the tech relay stuff. And I believe... I don't know if you were there at the time. You might, yeah, you probably were there. Uh, I kept messing up the alphabetical order of Clemens and Clements. So anyway, that's my connection to that. I, I went to Fort Bend schools until sixth grade. So I would have oh. actually gone to Clements. Oh, really? Had, had we not moved to Plano. So I always think it's kind of funny that I ended up at Clemens. What, uh, what elementary school did you go to? Good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you did you know did you know a Corey Novi or mm -hmm. Lindsay Novi? Okay. Um, Meadows. Is okay, Meadows, Meadows. Okay. Yeah, I don't because uh, I've got uh, uh, I've got some friends that were in that system as well. They went to Clements, so Clements. So anyway, enough about that. This is about <laughs> you. Uh, so you taught for a year at Friendswood. Um, I love Kathy. Uh, the the biggest, well, I have two massive memories of Kathy. One is we traveled to Edinburgh together uh, without kids. She ended up going the next year with kids. I did not. My kids, the parents fell through with their promise, their end of the deal. But so I, I spent time with her at Edinburgh and Amy. And then uh, she was the last interview I had for this podcast before, right before COVID. Like literally as things, she got a phone call during the interview that UIL was done. Um, and so wow. like, that's, that's like a huge memory. And I know that sticks with a lot of Texas theater educators. So. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, um, I knew Kathy from hosting one act play at Sam Houston mm -hmm. and I would be like a student stage manager. Yeah. So I saw her kids work and the stuff that she did and was really, uh, impressed. And, uh, so when I had the opportunity to go work there, right. um, it was Excited to do that, and uh, they did uh, the Crucible that year and went to state. So, yeah. Um, and then I had the opportunity to kind of work with her again. I taught um, nine years at uh, Texas A&M Corpus's um, theater camp. Okay. Camp on the coast. And so the the years that she was there um, directing, cool. Got to spend some more time with her. That was great. So, were, did you have like was Penny and Miss Mack and all them? They were all at Sam. Tom, so was Ms. Tom Pryor there? Yeah. Uh, Tom Pryor had just left. Okay. Um, so Dr. Soar, okay. Penny, it was Penny's first year when I came in. 
And uh, Miss McIntyre actually recruited me. She was the one who offered me the scholarship at TETA. Okay. Um, and uh, I was in two of Maureen's shows. I was in Picnic and I was in After the Fall as a freshman. And uh, I was never in Penny's shows, but her stage management class was a yeah. game changer. She's fantastic. And uh, I was a, a favorite of Dr. Stowar. So I was in a couple of his shows. And um, then obviously uh, Dr. Miller, huge uh, yeah. influence on my directing. I remember having a conversation with him the end of my junior year and they let seniors direct in the main season if you were selected. And I said, you know, how do I, how do you go about doing that? I'm, I'm thinking I'm interested. And he was shocked. He was like, I would never have thought you'd want to direct. And so uh, I was able to get in the main season and directed a, a show uh, in rep uh, with a guest artist. And that was also yeah. one of those kind of moments where you're like, okay, um, I love to act, but I think my strength really is directing. Right. Do you, uh, did you, or did you, you said you met, you went to both Webster and Sam to, to view the campus, I mean? I okay. did. I did. And the irony of Webster, I wanted desperately to go to Webster. Right. And I think mostly because the hype at Plano East was that was, you know, that was the best place to be. And so I just, I think, I mean, I'll be honest. I know. I mean, I have nothing to lose at this point in my career. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that I was a little worried about being a theater major, and I think I thought people would be like, "Oh, well, you know," but she got accepted into the best place, so she's good, and it'll be good, um, and and have some more confidence, and give me in turn some confidence about choosing it as a career. And so when I went, I loved it. I loved that it. it was, you know, not Texas. And so I felt like, oh, now I'm making it because I'm going to be somewhere else. I love that it was attached to a repertory theater and had that relationship. I think there was some security in that. Um, but I'll tell you, one of the things that I noticed right away were that most of the, uh, most of the professors were from UT. They had graduated from UT. Yeah. And so as I watched the classes, you know, I thought to myself, well, this is a lot of money to get the training from people who got their training from UT. So if I, if I want this training cheaper, I could just go to UT. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I think that's the practical side of me that has always made me, um, you know, a little less dreamy as a, as a theater person. Yeah. Also the cold, uh, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was snowing the whole time we were there. I think I think that was kind of an awe factor for me, but I'm sure it would have it would have lost its luster pretty fast. Yeah, a couple of days fine, uh, weeks, months, not so much. So I, I get that. Seventeen. So telling my dad, <laughs> you want me to go to a place where there's a prison? <laughs> you know, I I really Sam did not have the kind of prestige. Uh, as, as uh, Webster did in that regard. But I'll tell you, I've never regretted Sam um, from the standpoint of the value of what I got. Um, I, I tell people all the time, the musical theater program was just starting as I was leaving. Um, but we did musicals. I had the opportunity to do those things. 
but you know, it's like there was a plan. There really was kind of a master plan because when I got to uh, Clemens, they hired a theater uh, teacher in hiring me, but they also hired a technical theater teacher at the same time. And uh, her name was Alicia Tadema, and she was awesome and fantastic. Uh, and she had gone to Webster, and I was so in awe of her. But she said, you know, I'm $22,000 in debt because I went to Webster, graduated, didn't have a teaching certificate. So then I had to go to UT and get my teaching certificate. And here I was coming straight out of Sam, no debt, teaching certificate. We're both at the same place in our career and she's got debt. And I thought, this is God telling me you went where you're supposed to go. (laughs) You did the right thing. Yeah. So if you uh, had not gone into... If you had taken your parents' advice, or, or not their advice necessarily, but their, you can do anything you want except be a teacher, what do you think you'd be doing right now? What do you think you would have gone into? You know, I've thought about this a lot because as I've moved into administration and met with different people that are in politics and um, different, you know, aspects of, of, uh, leadership, I think, you know, wow, I wish I would have known the power that I had, um, that I could truly do anything. Um, And I think that's one of the things that I'm always telling people when I go to um, judge or, or do workshops is please remind your students that if you can do theater, you can do anything. And I mean that sincerely. It's just, it's, Truly, truly the skills that it takes to get up there and not only be confident to learn someone's lines, interpret it, do it, build sets, create, um, put it all together, make those connections to tell a story and have a big picture. Um, Know that there is a deadline that we're not going to say, oh, sorry, I know we said it was going to be December 1st at 7 p.m., but it's not. That it's actually going to happen regardless of where we're at. Um, people are going to pay money to see it, and there's going to be expectations, and you're going to need to be able to meet those expectations. The, the, the intensity of that, the teamwork that takes, the skills it takes, I think set you up to do anything. So I think overall... I'm a creative. I know that. I love, I love all things creative. So um, when I was younger, before I kind of got, you know, convinced that theater was the path I was going to go, I sang, I danced, um, and theater just was the best place to be because you could do all of those things. But I also loved stuff like floral design. So I don't know. I mean, it could have been a florist. <laughs> but um, interior designer, I loved creating the sets. I loved decorating Uh, But I also just know I'm passionate about storytelling and I'm passionate about humanity and and how we communicate. And, and, you know, I think COVID was a big eye opener to how important uh, live theater is to telling the human story, to connecting us, to seeing what we have that is the same more than what is different. So I can easily see myself getting involved in politics, getting involved in, um, you know, leadership roles where I can make a difference in helping to communicate human need um, and and how we can navigate and 
the craziness that is our world. So, uh, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Okay. That's fair. Uh, I'll accept it. Um, uh, you, so I had a question about the two high schools that you opened, the new high schools. So what did you learn going into your second new opening? Or, or excuse me, what did you learn from your first opening that you took with you into your second opening that maybe you wish you had known the first time? Oh, yeah. Um, I know there are probably quite a few uh, things that, that you could answer with. Are, I think, you know, the biggest is um, you will never have a moment. And and by moment, I really, I, I don't know how long to say it is um, because my experience has varied, but you will never have that moment where everyone in the building is new to that space, right? We're all coming from different experiences, but we know that, and if you have a good, strong leader, you have a unified vision right? And you have this opportunity to say, you know, we can do it any way we want. We can set the tradition any way we want. Um, I think the hardest thing for me at, at Samuel Clemens was what I like to refer to as teaching with a ghost. You know, you had somebody who had developed the program and spent years there and had established these traditions. And there was nothing wrong with those traditions, but they weren't my traditions. And so everything I said, especially in the beginning was walking on eggshells of, well, that's not the way we've done it before and building that trust. Right. So I was very cognizant the second time I opened a school about being intentional about those choices um, and knowing that it goes beyond the theater department. You know, like you're going to you're going to set up, you know, this is when we have our auditions and this is how I uh, communicate with parents or create a booster club or don't create a booster club. Right. But also, you know, down to those minute details of, you know, what does our circle look like before the show starts? And, um, you know, what 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 does one act look like for us? You know, win, lose or draw. Right. But also just from the get go, the opportunity to say, I'm going to collaborate with people that are not in this department. Um, I remember when I opened Warren, one of the first things I did was I went out there and I met the head football coach. And I said, our first production is our first of six one act. Um, I'm sorry, six um, improv nights. And we're going to do it on Monday nights. And so it's going to conflict with Monday night football. So the first one is going to be kind of a spoof on Monday night football and any jerseys. And he was like, sure, I can give you some practice jerseys. And from that point on, I had a relationship with him. Um, I had relationships with, you know, a Spanish teacher uh, that I carried over. Um, when I went to Brandeis, I immediately met the Spanish teacher right away because I said, hey, let me tell you about this project I did. Her Spanish 3-4 kids did a night of Lorca and they did Casa de Bernarda Alba in Espanol. My kids did Blood Wedding in English you know, and we had a night of Lorca and we, we flip flop classes so I could teach the theater side. She taught the culture and the Spanish side to them. And, you know, I just think that when you open a building and, and you create a program, there's so much rich opportunity to go beyond the boundaries of your classroom and really set some new traditions and some new relationships that'll benefit your kids. And then it will make you and your program indispensable. And if there's anything I could tell 
a brand new teacher, it would be that. Be indispensable. Don't just be the crazy drama teacher. That's what they expect. That's what they think they're getting. You know, be indispensable and do these things that make the whole campus shine. And then your program will get what it needs. You'll have the respect to do what you want to do and to take risks. The other piece I would say is is kind of perfunctory, but it is. It's the building. Mm -hmm. Very few people realize you have one year, sometimes two, with a warranty on a brand new facility. So get in there and check it out and get up on the catwalk. Do the things that you may feel uncomfortable doing to see, does this building have what it's supposed to have? One of my favorite stories with that, (laughs) when I opened Brandeis, I walked into uh, the costume storage room and it was gorgeous. I mean, they'd done all the piping, uh, washer and dryer. I mean, great, right? Um, And then I noticed they had built a shelf with a dehumidifier and I was like, this is awesome. They've thought of everything except I looked for where you plug in the dehumidifier and it had a little drawing on the cinder block in purple marker of an outlet. And it reminded me of uh, Harold in the Purple Crayon. And I thought to myself, (laughs) I don't know if this outlet is just going to materialize at some point in time. (laughs) But, you know, it's stuff like that, that I think you get really excited about a new space and you don't think about there's things that may not work. There's things that need to get fixed or might not be as safe as they should be. So, um, yeah, that'd be another thing about opening a school I'd mentioned. That's really good advice, actually, because, yeah, there are lots of new spaces that uh, I won't speak of because uh, I'm still close to some of the people that made those decisions. But uh, there are some spaces that have corners that have been cut, but they're not necessarily intentional corners. They were just forgetful corners. So, um, yeah, I get that. That's funny, though, the purple outline. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I do, um, you know, one of the the blessings of becoming a fine arts director and meeting some amazing people um, I met Jim Van Zant, who's the had been the fine arts director for Round Rock, and he has a company called Enhance the Arts. And so we, he called me and said, you know, hey, I, I would love your theater advice on this. So um, I do facilities and program reviews now, and I've seen, I mean, things that I just shake my head, like what is that? And it is, I think it's, um, you know, being in in this level of the business now, when we have these bond meetings. And the new facility for theater is there. It's very easy to say, well, that fly system's, you know, $2.2 million. They can still do theater without that, right? So that goes. Um, But how things get put in, um, if you're not very careful and you're not working with a really uh, good architect who understands, I mean, they're meeting all the requirements, right? They're like, oh, ADA. So let me slap this platform with a, um, an elevator right in the middle of your stage, right? <laughs> Let me, um, they're not thinking through those things. They're not thinking through, um, I saw a facility the other day where the th- they built a booth. It used to be a cafeteria. So they converted it to a standalone theater space, but they created a booth where you have to go to the lobby to enter the booth. And they hadn't considered at all the supervision issues that that causes because you're not, supposed to give a kid a key, right? So you as the teacher are supposed to totally leave the class, you know, unsupervised to get in the booth. So I was like, first thing you guys have to do is cut a door into this thing. I mean, it's just simple things like that. But I think 
you forget not all of the right people are at the table when those decisions are being made. Or unfortunately, um, which is the case at one of our facilities, I remember when I came, I asked the teacher who had been there a long time, you know, hey, when they, they gave you this space, why didn't you make sure they gave you a curtain that wrapped all the way around the, the black box? And she said, I was just so grateful to not be in a cafetorium anymore that I just said yes and thanks to whatever they would give me. And I think that happens a lot of times. People don't want to be the kind of, you know, oh, I'm ungrateful. But there is a lot of stuff that you should, I mean, it doesn't hurt to speak up and ask, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to elaborate anymore because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get in trouble with anybody, but, um, but yeah, it's a, you know, I, I was just in a space actually not too long ago that same situation, uh, uh, the office was built in a way that, um, and it's a, it's an actually a nice space. It's a really nice space, but the office had the door going out into the hall and you had to go back into the classroom, whereas the, you could see what was happening in the classroom, but you couldn't get to it. So if a kid, God forbid, something happens to a child in that classroom, you're seeing it and then you have to walk out back here, go out the hall, back into the class. And it's like they, they leave you, they fix that problem. They, like you just said, all you have to do is put a door in right here and they did that. But I don't know. The initial plans did not include said door. So it's, it's funny. It's, uh, it is, I, I have a really good friend. I've talked about him on this podcast before, John Shelley, who's great. And I encourage people to look him up. He works with Gensler, uh, the architecture firm, and he was hired because he has a theater background and he's, he is, that's his job is design theaters and consult on these spaces and stuff, performing arts spaces, really not just necessarily theaters, but also music halls and things. So, but yeah good advocate. So speaking of advocacy, uh, you are one of very few probably uh, theater background administrators that has kind of gone up the ladder. Uh, You know, I know there are quite a few. Uh, I know, you know, Philip Taylor's making his way up. He'll be, he'll be secretary of education at some point in the next 20 years, I'm sure. And I've told him that to his face. Uh, but, uh, what sort of responsibility does that put on you to make you an advocate, even though, like you said, you, you were, uh, uh, assistant soup for, or associate soup or assistant acting superintendent. Act- yeah. Okay. Well, before that you were, you said you were overall the Okay. Yeah, so you, yeah. yeah, you were overall the kind of quote, I'll say it, fun stuff. I'm I'm gonna say that. Those aren't your words, I'll say it though. Um and so that means that's a lot of different hats that you're wearing. But as a theater background person or as a performing arts person, did you feel some sense of like responsibility that I've gotta make sure I'm looking out for these people, um and not just necessarily the ones I know, but also the ones that are just the the ones I don't know too, the, the, everybody. So I'll stop blabbing. No, absolutely. I, um, I think it's, I think I've learned in this position, you know, certainly I came in with a, with a sense of advocacy for, for theater and what theater does and, you know, being a choir kid, the same thing, you know, being a dance kid, same thing. Um, but I will say, as I have taken on these different areas, um, truly good programs that train kids, that prepare kids, 
um, we're all cut from the same cloth. And I think one of the things that was hard for me, because I think it's drilled into us as fine arts people is that, you know, oh, you know, the athletic people are so different and they, they do things differently and they get so much more and they do so much more. And if we would just be treated like athletics, right? Well, I'm over athletics and I can tell you that they are just as um, indoctrinated that we have things they don't, that they, um, you know, if we could just get what fine arts and the respect that fine arts has, right? And you don't ever know that as a fine arts person. And so as I've gotten to know those coaches um, and we've let down guards on both sides, um, they could be some fantastic theater directors. I, they are telling a story in their own right with their kids. They're prepping their kids very similarly to how I know we prep our kids um, and not just for competition, but for life. They believe what we believe about um, these are skill sets that make people good people. And uh, I think if we were more unified uh, as um, electives, uh, as uh, classes of choice, whatever you want to call them, um, I really do think our voice would be stronger. My uh, PhD that I'm doing right now is about um, making arts the center of education. Um, and, and really, it could be anything that isn't core um, content is that what would happen if uh, you went to school and that was that was the that was the main vehicle, right? It's what kids come to school for. So what if I learned history? Um, and math and science and politics and uh, writing uh, and reading through these contents. Um, you know, when I talk about the cross-curricular things that teachers can do, everybody lights up, right? So um, I think that my advocacy is about don't underestimate that this is this is playtime for kids. This is downtime. I hear that a lot lately with um, the anxiety and the stress that, you know, kids are facing and that COVID uh, seemed to increase is, well, you know, our students are in all of these AP classes and so they need downtime like theater. And it's very frustrating to hear that because I, I, I know what they mean. Uh, I think we all know what they mean, but I want to say, you know, I did more writing in my theater class than they did in their AP class. Uh, my kids would ask me all the time, why do we do so much writing in here? I said, because you're going to be more than a theater kid. Um, and if you, even if you are a theater kid, you're going to be a theater kid that is a quadruple threat. You're going to sing, you're going to dance, you're going to act, and you're going to write your own material so that when no one will hire you, you can produce your own stuff. And I feel very passionately that what we teach in the arts and specifically in theater um, really transcends all the content areas and makes connections for kids that they might not want to learn about physics. They may not want to learn about, um, you know, a, a particular time in history. But when you do a show uh, like Radium Girls, um, you know, now you've just opened up a whole world of science and history um, to a kid that might not ever think they're successful in those areas. 
but they'll absolutely tell you the story of Radium Girls. So I feel passionate about making sure that kids get what they need and they see that learning isn't siloed. And I think theater does that very well. But I also believe that you can't scrimp on the stuff, right? Um, theater is expensive. If you're if you're going to do it well, um, you need lights, you need sound, you need um, a space that is dedicated and that teachers can get in and work with their kids on. And so, um, absolutely advocate for when you're looking at cutting a budget for a new build or for providing a space for those things that um, the benefit of that, because it goes beyond uh, it being a content area. It really is the heart of a community. If you do it well, um, that space, that theater space, those black box spaces, um, those outdoor learning spaces that can become um, outdoor performance spaces or environmental theater are really spaces where the community connects to the school. So yeah, I feel I feel like it's an opportunity to really um, give a voice to theater teachers uh, as I sit in these meetings and uh, um, but also advocate for teachers in general. Yeah. Uh, you sometimes are in these meetings and it's a lot of kind of high level best practice, right? And we're going to write a manual and it's going to get delivered to a teacher. <laughs> And I remind people like what it was to be a teacher. When was the last time you read anything that came from central office? <laughs> so um, I think that's a big part of it is um, don't lose sight of what it was to be a teacher as right. you make decisions for teachers. So you touched on something that uh, I don't think I've mentioned this very much, but the one of the Depends on how you want to look at it. If you like to read, then it's good. If you don't like to read, then it's bad. But uh, working in a private school now, we have we have required reading over the summer. Just mm -hmm. one book. It's not like it's like how it used to be in middle school where you had to read like 12 books in the summer. But right. um, but we this past year, we read uh, a book called Permission to Feel, and it's by uh, Dr. Mark Brackett. And one of the things, you kind of just touched on this a little bit with the idea of I go to theater to like – you know, I need, I need some downtime to go to theater, which is not really what it is, but he talks about in this book and I'm not trying to sell it, but I do recommend it, uh, to people. Um, he talks about how, when you're doing something that your brain does not feel as though it's, it's the whole, if you love what you do, it's not, you're not, you're never going to work a day in your life. It's that kind of idea, but there's actually a, a science behind that's actually true for your brain. You are not you will not get as tired doing something that you that your brain finds to be uh, food for the soul so much uh, right. than than if you did, you know, something. If you, if you're you know you wake up and you dread what you're about to do that day, you're you're going to be more tired at the end of the day. Whereas if you wake up loving what you do or or wanting to do it, you're not going to be as tired. And so that's a long way to say I agree with that idea of I go to theater to chill even though you're writing just as much if not more even though you're on your feet just as much if not more um it's something your your brain f enjoys so you're you don't feel exhausted when you're done right so. and i think that's such an important thing to teach humans mm -hmm. is that you know work is there but i have never felt um in my career uh, of of doing theater, advocating for theater, advocating for teachers, that I was, you know, just 
oh, it's so hard and I don't want to go and I don't want to do, you know, just the opposite. You know, people are having to pull me away like, hey, um, you know, we're going to close the school. You're still here. And it wasn't that I was rehearsing with kids. I was going back to my office, um, you know, planning out things I needed to do. But even just I was so um, engaged and engrossed in what I was doing that I I didn't want to disconnect from that. And I think if you can tell people that, yeah, you've got to work in this world, but if you can find that um, connection, it's not a myth that, you know, I've never worked a day in my life because I did what I loved, but you know, yeah, there's tough times, but you, when you're doing something that you have passion for and you see that it has an impact on people, um, you will put in the extra time and, and how important that is um, to have that level of work ethic when you know that your work is important and it has a value, you'll, you'll do, you'll do the work and you'll be happy. So uh, I typically want to end with advice, uh, which that was, but I want to, I, I've got to talk about T-Tow for at least a, a one question, but okay. uh, so we'll end with this kind of, uh, maybe it'll be advice. Maybe it won't be, maybe it'll be something that a new teacher can use. Uh, not that this wasn't already stuff that people couldn't use, but I, you are very, um, vocal on, you know, on that Facebook page for us contest managers and adjudicators and such, not vocal in a bad way. That sounds negative, but you're, you're very active and, you know, you're very informative, letting us know, Hey, this is happening. Make sure you got your judges, all that kind of stuff, um, which is very helpful. So, uh, why, why are you, why are you passionate about it? Why are you, um, why do you feel such a, a, a need to kind of serve for us and, um, and, and also advocate, but we've talked a lot about advocating. Uh, but why do you feel all that sense of, uh, kind of responsibility? Cause it's, I will say as somebody that keeps, uh, a li- I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of these people that has to check things off of a list. Right. So as an adjudicator, it's like the perfect jo- or not adjudicator as a contest manager, it's like the perfect job. Cause that's all we do is have I said this, have I said this, have I said, sometimes I'll just say, put on there, make sure they know there's breakfast, you know, like oh, check something else, you know? Um, but you do a very good job of making sure that those ducks are in a row. Uh, what is it about that responsibility that you just enjoy so much? I just think, it's such a um, a blessing that we have so many people who want to serve in the capacity of contest managers and adjudicators in the state. Um, you know, you're not getting rich off of it. It, it truly is a service. Um, and it's a service for our kids, but also for this industry as a whole. Um, I, I am amazed when I leave Texas and talk to people um, about how much um, one act play is, is known outside of the state as this amazing training ground, an amazing celebration of educational theater. And that doesn't happen without a lot of people kind of paying back uh, what they were given through one act play and um, UIL experiences. Um, through that adjudicating and and contest managing. And I think all of us can tell uh, numerous stories of those experiences really um, being special and and giving faith uh, to us about our future and and what kids are going to be doing. And, uh, you know, that that 
they, they're doing amazing things and, and so are their teachers. And as a teacher doing one act play, um, you know, I was inspired by so many people, um, but learning those people who would give me that advice of like, well, have you thought about doing your practices this way? Um, have you thought about, um, you know, timing this and rehearsing that? And um, those are, you know, they're, it, it's not that they're secrets, but it's, it's, it's this kind of quilt that gets woven um, and, and patched together over time of kind of best practices and to watch people light up when, you know, they see that you're willing to help them with that, I think is awesome and um, such a treasure for us in the state. And so for those folks that are part of TTAO and have decided that uh, they want to continue to serve in that capacity and, and help the whole system go, right? Um, we want to support that. We want you to know uh, what you got to do to be up to date with your training and um, make sure that you've you've booked your stuff and you've told people when you're available and that you remember, right? Because it's not our full-time job. And I think that the, the more we can support each other to um, really help that system work from a, from a volunteer standpoint, the better. And I think the transparency with it, because um, as uh, anyone can tell you who's gone through the system, whether as a kid or as a teacher, um, you know, there's a lot of myths about what when I play is right. Uh, and the more that we can be transparent and show people we're all just real people um, and that we love theater. And at the end of the day, we, we use rubrics and we use checklists like uh contest managers do uh, to make sure that we make this as fair a system as possible. Um, I think that that gives credence to the whole system. And so I'm proud to help support any way I can and keep our kids learning, keep our directors feeling confident and inspired and feel like um, they have great adjudicators and contest managers that are there to support them. Minor Wisdom